Hey, welcome back to the program. Jeff Semple sitting in for Alan Carter over the next couple of days. I mentioned yesterday on the program that I was heading in for my first COVID-19 test uh, ahead of this long weekend where we will be expanding our circle ever so slightly, uh, including my, you know, some slightly older family members. Uh, just, you know, not breaking any rules, but just wanted to get the test done out of an abundance of caution. Uh, pretty good experience, I have to say. Uh, better, Easier than I expected. Went to Michael Guerin Hospital, lined up outside, you know, socially distanced, physically distanced line for about an hour. Then when you get inside in the main lobby, it's it's pretty empty. Uh, they keep most people outside. Uh, and the lobby floor is marked up sort of like a giant chessboard. And patients with symptoms stand on the black squares and patients without symptoms stand on the blue squares. And then you sort of move through this like well-orchestrated machine. Uh, pretty impressive there. Like as I was answering questions, they were taking my temperature and, you know, checking my oxygen simultaneously. Uh, but then of course the moment of truth is the, the nasal swab, right? And, um, you know, you just watch people get, I've seen video, we've seen, you know, where we're doing some news reports, watch people getting that test and it just looks excruciating. And a friend of mine who got it actually sort of likened it, said it reminded him of ancient Egypt, you know, where they would mummify the bodies. They had to take out the organs and they, including the brain. So they would go, you know, back, the Egyptians would up, up, up the body's nose, nasal cavity with this long stick that had a little hook at the end, and that's how they would get the brain out. They actually have uh, uh, one of these sticks in the British Museum, if you're ever in London and, uh, and interested. So my friend told me that's sort of what it felt like, that he imagined what he would felt like. So anyway, I'm happy to report that it turns out he was messing with me. It's really not that bad. It only takes, you know, 10, 20 seconds. It's, it's uncomfortable, but uh, well worth it. And I'm told I'll get the results in a couple of days. So if you don't hear from me after that, uh, you'll know why. Uh, but speaking of anxiously waiting for results, um, at the top of the hour, one o'clock, as we've been reporting, we are expecting expecting to hear from the Premier, the Education Minister, finally to determine what school will look like in the fall for Ontario kids. And Ontario parents are anxious and divided. Uh, a Leger poll done just the other day found that parents are divided on whether they want to send their kid back to school in the midst of a pandemic. 59% of respondents with children said that they would be willing to send children back. 18% said that they planned to keep children at home. And another 23% said they simply didn't know. And I think, you know, even those of us who do know what we don't to do probably aren't totally certain about it. So lots of anxiety. And we saw that culminating in a protest yesterday outside of Stephen Lecce, the Ontario Education Minister's office. At that protest, one parent we spoke to on Global News, Gasperi Ritaka, who has two children heading into grade one and grade three. Have a listen. I'm very interested in making sure my kids for their mental and physical well-being get back in school, but only in a very safe way. And that, in my mind, means uh, limiting the size of classrooms, and to do that means more teachers and more space. Uh, and that is only one thing standing in the way of that, as far as I'm concerned, and that's money. Uh, and that needs to come from the, the leadership of the province, from the very high top level of the province. Right, so money will be one of the big questions at 1 o'clock yeah, in terms of, you know, how much money is the province willing to spend? We'd heard from the TDSB asking for upward up to $250 million to hire more teachers, more janitors, supplies, including per personal protective equipment. Uh, but the question, of course, is, is how risky is it to send our children back to school in the midst of a pandemic? And the science on that has been a bit of a moving target as this pandemic evolves. We're learning more about the virus that causes COVID-19 and what it does to children. And to 
discuss that a little bit more, we are joined on the line now by Sarah Stramko, who's an assistant professor at McMaster University Health Research Methods, Evidence and Impact. And she led, uh, took part in uh, a study of the studies, uh, taking a look at some of the existing research that we have now from other jurisdictions around the world. Sarah joins us on the line. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me today. So I want to ask you first about that research. What did you look at and what did you find? Yeah, so we looked at all of the uh, reports that have been published in the scientific literature since the beginning of the pandemic. So we ended up with 33 studies from 16 countries around the world, some reports from prior to lockdown measures, so cases where a student had gone into a school or daycare setting uh, and was later found out to have COVID-19 and looked at the transmission rates that resulted from that. And we also looked at reports from jurisdictions that have already opened up uh, after lockdown. And overall, what we find across all of those reports consistently is that children are not a major source of COVID-19 transmission in school and daycare settings. When we have seen clusters or outbreaks, uh, the transmission is primarily amongst adults in those settings, not amongst the children. That's interesting. So amongst adults, uh, can you give me an example? You mean when an adult goes in for a parent-teacher interview, for example? Yeah, so there's one uh, very interesting case of an outbreak from Chile where there was a, a large outbreak in that school following a week of parent-teacher interviews. We also see transmission um, amongst teachers and support staff, um, but not to a large extent. Primarily with those, we're looking at household clusters where, again, the index case is really the adults, uh, not the children. Interesting. Um, and does it depend, though, on the age of the child? I mean, obviously, we're talking about students. We're talking about very young to very old. Um, are some age groups more susceptible to becoming infected or transmitting the virus than others? Absolutely. So it does look like the under 10 age group is particularly low risk transmission. Uh, and then over 10, as students get older, they seem to transmit more similarly to adults. So we're using this over 10, under 10 kind of categorization, not necessarily that at age 10, you know, a switch flicks and all of a sudden they look like adults, but that's just how the ages have been categorized in the research that's been done so far. So we still do have more to learn about how that risk increases with age, but it does look like our younger children are not particularly good at spreading the virus, whereas they get older. So when we're talking about high schools, uh, the, the risk of transmission is higher. And we see that in uh, cases like Israel when there's and reports of large outbreaks in high schools after reopening. And that's fascinating and, and seems ironic, right? Because I thought children were super spreaders of disease just because of the fact that they tend to put their hands in their mouths more often than others. Um, so isn't that, isn't that sort of counterintuitive, what we're seeing from COVID-19? Yes, absolutely. It is very different from other um, viruses that we see where typically uh, young children are kind of those vectors of spread and any parent of a young child will know this very well. So I think that's one of the questions that we still don't really know the answer to with respect to COVID-19 as to why children seem to transmit uh, less than younger children, transmit less than older children or adults, and also why they have less severe disease typically. Um, so that's one of the questions that we still don't really have an answer to, but I'm sure, sure as we continue to learn more about it, there'll be more to come on that in uh, the weeks and months coming. Right. And I know you're an assistant professor at McMaster University and not the education minister, but uh, if you, say, were to advise him on this, and particularly on, on the question of masks, um, physical distancing within the classroom, I mean, anything from the research that you've looked at that might help to inform those decisions? 
So, so far, when we look at the jurisdictions that have reopened, there's really a wide range of measures that have been put in place. So right now, we don't really know sort of what the best practices would be um, related to reopening. But what we do see is that Again, adults are primarily the source of transmission, so I think that's a really important thing to focus on as we reopen schools and daycares, is making sure those measures are in place amongst the adults in the settings, so physical distancing, hand hygiene, face mask wearing, so that's amongst our teachers, the support staff and custodial staff that might be in the schools, but also parents who are doing drop-off and pick-up, who may be coming in and out of the school or also just in the parking lot, so we know that adults are still at risk for transmission and there are adults that are going to be in and around the school setting. So making sure we continue to uh, enforce and and promote those measures that we know are working and we know we're encouraging in other settings too. Interesting. And that would seem to underscore one of the suggestions that came out of that report from SickKids Hospital yesterday where they were suggesting that you know, teachers need to be physical distancing from their students. So if, you know, we're more concerned about adults spreading this virus than children, obviously that's a concern then that I suppose if a teacher doesn't keep their distance from children, that might actually be more important than the children keeping, you know, the distance from each other, if that makes sense. Yeah, and teachers physically distancing from the children, but also from each other. So we know that teachers, uh, you know, congregate in outside of COVID-19 staff rooms and uh, principal's offices and those type of places. So making sure that physical distancing uh, is continued in those shared uh, adult spaces within schools as well. Sarah Neil Stramko, an assistant professor at McMaster University, talking to us about COVID-19 and the risk or, you know, lack thereof to children as they head back to school in the fall. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us here. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time today. And stick around. We will take a short break, but when we come back, we will be changing subjects to the other big story of the day. The Prime Minister on the hot seat, Justin Trudeau just hours away now from appearing before the Finance Committee to testify on Parliament Hill about the WE controversy. Lots to unpack there, and we will do it with the help of an assistant professor in political science at UFT. Stick around. That's coming up on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.